This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Good morning, Calvary. Glad you're worshiping with us in whatever location you are. We're all across the Front Range and in many other places, but we've all come together to worship God through our singing and our praying, and now we're going to open the Word of God together. We're following Paul's journeys through the book of Acts last week in the city of Athens, and this week he's traveling 40 miles uh, southwest to the city of Corinth. Corinth was an important city in the Bible and in Greece. It was located on a small strip of land between the northern part of Greece and the southern section of Greece on an isthmus that was about four miles wide. On either side of that small body of land, there were two seas. To the west was the Adriatic Sea, and to the east was the Aegean Sea. And there, those two seas had seaports about two miles away from the city of Corinth, right in between those two important seaports. So Corinth was a strategic city in Greece that became a thriving Mediterranean trade center. It was known for its prosperity and for its textiles and trade, and it was the place that Paul visited after Athens. Now, every church located in a city has its unique particularities. Um, We're in Boulder and Erie and Thornton, and each of those cities are uniquely their own. And Corinth was its own kind of city. And there, a new church began in Acts chapter 18. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open. While you're opening to Acts chapter 18, where we read about the founding of this church in the city of Corinth, a couple more things about the city. Corinth was never well known for its arts or philosophy, but it was known for its entertainment and for its athletic competition. The Isthmian Games were second only to the uh, Olympian, Greek Olympian Games, and it happened every two years there. In the city of Corinth, just outside the center of the city was an acropolis, an elevated plateau about 1,900 feet above sea level, and that plateau was large enough to hold the entire population of the city, five to 700,000 people at Paul's day, in case the city became under siege. Also located up on that acropolis was a pagan worship temple to the goddess Aphrodite, there all kinds of immoral pagan worship occurred. It so infiltrated the city culture that anyone who was an immoral person in the first century was frequently called a Corinthian. It was a nickname given to someone who was immoral. Now this is the place to which Paul arrives to plant a church to open up the preaching of the gospel. And I want you to just follow through what happened and imagine Paul stepping back into this brand new city and beginning to preach the good news about Jesus. What helped him along the way? I find two things in our text this morning that God gave to Paul to strengthen him in his work. And then if time allows, I want to look at the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter he wrote to that city later in his journeys. 
to see how Paul describes this new emerging church. So Acts chapter 18 and verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Aquila, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for them, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews and uh, uh, that the Christ was in fact Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent, and from now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And so he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This is the word of the Lord. Now here's the account of the forming of the church in Corinth, Paul's original arrival. And there are two things that I want you to see that I think God gave to Paul to spur him on in the work. And the first is that God gave to Paul many good friends and encouragers at his early arrival. They're all named here, but it's an interesting picture of what must happen when a church begins to grow and then flourish. The first that we meet are Aquila and Priscilla, a husband and wife team who are Jews who were from um, Jerusalem, but they were had to leave. I'm sorry, they were from Rome and they had to leave because of Claudius's command. And so they were under persecution and they fled to the city of Corinth. What we learn about Priscilla and Aquila is they became fast friends with Paul and they helped him in the ministry, even teaching with him on a number of occasions and even correcting others who didn't have their theology quite right, as you'll see later in chapter 18. And Priscilla and Aquila were companions with him and they were the ones who were tent makers and Paul actually lodges with them stays working with them there for this year and a half as a bivocational pastor apostle and tent maker I love that God gives companions to those who are in ministry who will help lift them along and encourage them but his primary ministry in Corinth, again, is as it always is, first to the synagogue. So he's preaching there, and when Silas and Timothy return, it just says that Paul was occupied in preaching the word, trying to proclaim to everyone who would listen to him that the Christ promised in the Old Testament is none other than Jesus. But he runs into opposition right away. 
he runs into opposition from the Jews uh, in verse 6, and they opposed him and reviled him, and they gave him such a difficult time that he eventually does uh, this sort of ceremonial act of shaking his clothing so that the dust of the ground would fall off him, and he makes this pronouncement, your blood be on your heads. I am telling you how to be saved eternally, and you are rejecting me. That's on you now. It's as if Paul is saying, here's the gospel. Here's the hope of eternal life. And it keeps getting rejected and rejected. And he finally makes a strategic move. And he said, I'm innocent. I have proclaimed the way of life. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And this marks a change in Paul's strategy for the most part, through the rest of the book of Acts, that his ministry is going to be geared to reaching those who are not Jews. And he's going to go to those cities uh, where Gentiles live, and he'll ultimately end up in Rome. Now, this strategy of Paul is picked up here in Corinth. Here he is in a, in a very Gentile city. And the first person that comes to faith is verse 7. There was a man uh, uh, who he went to the house of a man by the name of Titus Justus, and he is a Roman citizen by his name, you can tell, and he becomes a follower of Christ, and he welcomes Paul in, and he gives him lodging and accommodations and board, and, and next door to him is another man by the name of Crispus, and he's the ruler of the synagogue. So you have a Roman citizen, Titus Justus, and Crispus, who is a Jew, a ruler of the synagogue, and they become the first companions of Paul along with Priscilla and Aquila. And then there's this phrase that many of the other Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. So you simply begin to see the picture of a forming church some Jews, some leaders, some Roman citizens, and then this nondescript phrase that many other of the Corinthians. I have a friend who talks about the city of Corinth, and he refers to a made-up man there called the Cobbler of Corinth, his way of just indicating that all kinds of people from all walks of life were hearing this gospel message about Jesus preached and they were coming to faith. And it simply forms a picture of what should happen in every city where the gospel's preached. People of all walks of life come to faith in Jesus and then they become attached together in a church. Can you imagine a church forming in this kind of city that is bustling and prosperous and filled with entertainment, and known for its immorality. And that's the place that becomes fertile ground for the emerging church in the city of Corinth. I love the picture that's there. Before we leave all these different people, could I just make a point that a church in any location needs the collection of the body of Christ corporately together to lift up the work and support the work. 
every pastor or ministry leader, every apostle in the scriptures were supported along and helped and encouraged by people. And so it is today. No church can survive in Boulder or Erie or Thornton or any place God raises up a church without God calling to himself people who know that they're saved by the grace of God and then become partners in the work. Some of these partners were prayer partners. Others were teaching partners. Some provided financial resources and accommodations and everything that Paul needed. And I love the picture that the body begins to form. Have you thought about what your place is in the work of our church, Calvary Bible Church? In whatever city that you are, whatever part of the congregation you're a part of, do you know what your part is to give lift to the ministry of the advance of the church, be it Erie or Thornton or Boulder. I want to encourage you to consider that, that the church exists to take people who are far from God and teach them about Christ and then help them to grow in their life in Christ and then find their place of service. We often quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we're all saved by the grace of God, but we're saved by the grace of God for the good works that he has prepared for us before the foundation of the world that we would walk in those good works to be in line with God's purpose of advancing his gospel in the world. I want to encourage you to think about what your part is. And I want to say thank you to all of you who have been a part of helping Calvary Bible Church through these last eight months of really difficult challenge of being the church and trying to find the place that God has called us to. As you know, in the city of Boulder last weekend, there was a tremendous fire and uh, 26 homes were lost. One of our own members lost everything in their home to the fire. Um, we don't know how to help yet, but we're, we know we're going to be called on. And I'm going to ask you just to be looking for what are the ways during this COVID season, this really challenging season, to help the work of God so that his church can advance in every place that he calls us. That's the first thing that I see God did for Paul in the city of Corinth. But I want you to see that the second gift God gave to Paul was a unique word to the apostle that he had a vision from Jesus and that vision begins in verse 9, that the Lord came to Paul, whether he was asleep or he had a vision, he knew that the Lord was speaking to him. And Jesus just said to him what he has said to his people at many times in the history of his working in human history, do not be afraid. I don't want you to be afraid. And then I think he gives four reasons why Paul could continue the work in the city of Corinth without fear. And the first is, I want you to go on speaking and not be silent. It is as if Jesus is saying to him, don't be afraid. This is what I want you to do. You're my apostle. You're the one I'm sending. And so don't be silent. Keep speaking. Now, that sort of seems obvious. But when the Lord tells you to do something, you can do it without fear, knowing that you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. For Paul, it was to keep being bold, keep proclaiming the message. We learn later that every weekend, on the Sabbath day, he would go to the synagogue and he would reason with the Jews and the Greeks. So he kept speaking in boldness. 
But before we leave this part, I think there is a lesson for us that when we do what God asks us to do, when we know God wants us to do something and we do it in obedience, there is a calm in the soul and a settling of faith that, a, that takes place. When we do what we know God wants us to do, there's peace and fear evaporates. But when we're trying to walk the line and be on the fence and say we're walking with God but living in disobedience, that's a tough place to live. For Paul it was, keep speaking. But has God ever said something to you where you knew the absolute thing you needed to do was just be obedient to that? Maybe it was obedient to speak to a neighbor, to a coworker, to share your faith with someone. Or maybe it was just to say a word of encouragement that you knew God was prompting you to do something. Or perhaps it was to start getting up early in the morning and being in the word of God. You knew God was prompting you and you haven't quite responded to that. The place of peace and no fear is obedience to the commands of God. That's number one. The second thing he says to them, I I want you to go on speaking for I am with you. And in the vision, Jesus says to Paul, you never need to fear because I am always with you. Now, one of the things you could do in your small group this morning is think of all the times that God came to people in whose lives he was working and the first thing he said to them was don't be afraid. Perhaps he had to do that because his very presence and the, the sense of being in the, hearing the voice of God could have been overwhelming. You go to the Christmas narrative, we see it again and again when angelic beings came to Joseph and Mary, Simeon and others, it was don't be afraid. But I want to take you on a quick journey through the Bible to three or four places. So keep your finger here. And just turn left in your Bible all the way back to the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, and these should be sort of anchor points for every follower of Christ. For the times that God entered the life of one of his own and said to them, don't be afraid. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5, God comes and speaks to Joshua, the successor to Moses. And he says to him in the second part of the verse, just as I have been with Moses... I will be with you, and I will not leave you or forsake you. And then verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua had a daunting task ahead of him. God spoke to him and said, don't be afraid, I'm with you. That's exactly what God said to Paul. If you were to think of one of the most famous Psalms in the Bible, Psalm 23. There David said, even if I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why, everybody? For you are with me. You're with me, you're with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When God raised up uh, prophets to speak for him, he often called them to speak at times when his people were being disobedient. So immediately the task that they had before them was to talk to a disobedient people and try to get them to come back to the Lord. And again and again, 
God reminded his prophets that you're probably going to go and speak to this people and they may not listen to you. In fact, for some of them, Isaiah, they're going to hear, but they're not going to listen. They're going to see, but they're not going to observe. They're, they're really not going to pay attention. So to Isaiah, God had to give this word in the same way that he gave it to Paul. In Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my own righteous right hand. He said very similar things to Jeremiah in the opening chapter of that book. I will be with you. They're not gonna listen to you, but don't be afraid, I will strengthen you. And then do you remember the words of Jesus as he left the earth, go into all the world, preach the gospel, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. For lo, everybody, I am with you always. The abiding presence of God is the reason we need not fear. And I know even during COVID, perhaps, we're saying to ourselves, God, where are you? What's the answer? Of course he's here. Of course he's with us. And he may let us go through these difficult, challenging experiences. But even as the vision came to Paul, don't be afraid. Keep speaking. I am with you. I can assure you because you believe in Jesus and you've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, he is with you too. And he will not leave you. The third reason Paul didn't need to have fear was this phrase, no one will attack you to harm you. I like to put in my mind, the, in parentheses, the word here in Corinth. No one will attack you here in Corinth. Because I think what Paul needed to hear from God is you're going to be here for a while. We learned that he stayed for a year and a half. But in this city... God gave Paul the word, no one's going to attack you for the next 18 months. No one's going to harm you. So have no fear. What we know actually is that when Paul left Corinth, he was again pursued. He was taken into custody. He was thrown into prison. He was beaten. And history tells us that he eventually lost his life and martyred him. Here in Corinth, the word was, no one's going to harm you. So be bold. We never have the assurance that no one will harm us indefinitely. Those who follow the Lord will suffer persecution. But here Paul had a word that was going to help him set up the church in Corinth. And then the very last word is really encouraging. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. I am with you. No one is going to attack you to harm you. And the last phrase is, I have many in this city who are my people. And it's as if Jesus is opening the curtain for Paul to see that his work in the city of Corinth is going to be fruitful, that in the weeks and months ahead, Paul's preaching is going to result in many more people coming to faith in Jesus. I have many more in this city. It reminds me of the words of Jesus in John chapter 10 when he was describing himself as the good shepherd. And he said, my sheep hear my voice. And then he said to a group of Jewish comrades. I have other sheep not of this fold and they will hear my voice too. And he sort of repeats that to Paul here. I have many people in the city of Corinth 
They're my people and they're going to come to me as you preach the word. I think these things for Paul would have encouraged him to keep persevering as he did building this new church in a pagan, immoral, wealthy city, the city of Corinth. God builds churches in all kinds of cities, our city. And what are the specific dynamics of our city that we could have courage to keep preaching the gospel. I think Paul was given friends to encourage him and a word from Jesus to keep him spurred on to be faithful to do the work of an apostle in the city. I love that the Bible records these things for us to be encouraged in 2020 in a really challenging season. But if you think about the church being formed, what would become of this church. For a quick glance forward, a number of years, when Paul wrote a letter to that church in the city of Corinth, I want you to turn to the right in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want to close this morning just by looking at the way Paul described this church several years after he had been there when he wrote this letter to the city of Corinth and to the church. This letter was written to encourage the church and to correct the church. Since Paul left, the church had found itself in some very serious problems. So Paul begins to write 1 Corinthians in order to correct some of the behavior and some of the beliefs that the church had adopted. And it begins this way. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. So Paul says, I'm the author and I'm an apostle and I was called by God and I'm writing to, please note these words, the church of God. Whose church? It's not Paul's church. He doesn't say I own it. It's the church of God that is in Corinth to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. I want you to look at those words. There are three words there that describe the church in the city of Corinth. It's the church of God. He owns it. It's his bride. We belong to God. Now the word church is the Greek word ekklesia. It comes from two Greek words. The, the small word ek, which means out, and kaleo, which means to call. So the church is the called out group that belongs to God. We've been called out. We are his church. We're the church of God in Corinth. We're the church of God in Boulder and Erie and Thornton. We, we belong to him we, because we've been called out by him. And then he says of that church, they're sanctified in Christ Jesus. That's the word to be set apart as if God called us out and then set us apart for his purposes. The, the root of that word is the word holy. And so it's interesting that the next word in the verse, who are called saints. They're called saints. 
that the holy ones, so these three words, the church, those who are called out, who have been sanctified, set apart, and who are called the holy ones of God in Christ Jesus, is the way Paul writes the title of his church. Now let's just think about that. We're called out because of God. We're set apart by God, and we're made holy by God and his complete grace. We're not holy because of what we do and our behavior. In fact, if you read the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll find out that they had lots of trouble. They were, had all kinds of problems. They were uh, di- divided. Their theology was wrong. They were living in immorality. They were bickering with each other, and they didn't believe some of the things that Paul had taught them. So they're in trouble. In some ways, they're not living a holy life, but God's title for them in their position before God is they're the called out church, set apart for God, called as saints. That's the way God thinks about his church. He thinks about his church as the bride he has redeemed and saved. And this letter to 1 Corinthians is going to bring alignment, hopefully, with their life to where their position and standing in Christ is. So he just says, grace and peace to you. In the verses that follow, he encourages them that they've been inundated with the grace of God to be saved, to be filled with every bit of wisdom and and every spiritual gift, and they're waiting for the return of Jesus. That's all the time we have to look at this, but I want you to, to know that when God begins a church, his vision for his church is that they would be his set-apart people in a city, that they would be set apart for his purposes, and that they would, they would do what he said to the Ephesian church, live worthy of the calling to which they've been called, live a holy life. So today as we get ready to move into our small groups, what's fresh in our mind is that God delights to do a work in a new place. And he likes to renew that work and then carry on that work. Many of the churches that Paul began went out of existence. We never want that to happen in our lives. We want to be the vibrant church that's saved by the grace of Jesus, that thinks about ourselves as belonging to him and having been set apart for his purposes and called out to do whatever he wants to do. And I just pray that the vision that Paul saw, don't be afraid, whatever's going on in COVID, in this crazy election season, in your homeschooling, in your employment at home, in whatever's happening in your life, don't be afraid. I am with you. I am with you. Don't be afraid to speak. Don't be afraid to be obedient. You're my church. I'm so thankful that we belong to him. So today as we pray and then go to small groups, let's think about our role as the church in the city that God has placed us. And let's pray that in the days ahead, ahead, we will have a a vibrant influence for the grace of God in our cities. Father, thank you for the privilege of looking at the way you work in cities, the way you worked in Corinth. And we want to invite you to work in our city, work in our house, work in my life, and then push us out to every place that you want us to be your called out people who live a distinct kind of life in a world that so desperately needs to hear. And I pray there will be no fear in our hearts of doing 
all that you've called us to do. And I thank you that you are with us today and to the end of the age. And everybody said, amen.